0: At Delane Gibson, we strive to educate our clients and the public on finer aspects of risk. For this podcast, BOR stands for Brothers of Risk. Chip and Ted Gibson will dive into important topics on risk management, insurance, employee benefits, HR consulting, and what's going on at DG. We will try to translate the complicated contract and policy laden insurance world into pragmatic advice all while bantering as brothers and partners at Delane Gibson.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the long-awaited podcast on watches, how to insure them, what to think about, and everything else. My name is Ted Gibson, president of Delane Gibson Insurance. I'm here with my brother, Chip Gibson, CEO, and the only horologist I know, Justin Hayward. Ooh, horologist. Wow. That's fancy. Yep. You what, just researched that t- word last night. <laughs> Took t- 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 me a long time to get the pronunciation right, but that's the closest <laughs> thing I could get to uh, how I can describe Justin. So what is a horologist? It can mean many things, but a keeper of time was how it was originally wow. <laughs> wow. <I love laughs> it it. Originally uh, thought of, and, and it also can be someone that I think is interested in watches. So...
0: Well, super appropriate. Yeah, uh, Chip Gibson here. Really excited to have Justin Hayward here. If there's a guy with a passion for watches, uh, we found him. And um, we do business with Justin as far as some life insurance, other executive benefits, um, investments. But the fun stuff is watches. And he always has a lot to say in this topic. He's a really big collector. And uh, we really just uh, wanted to pick his brain today because we see issues with insurance and how the values of watches over the past couple of years have risen exponentially. How do you properly protect your collections? And that's kind of the insurance nerd stuff, but let's get into the fun stuff. Uh, Justin, like high-end watches are a passion of yours. Just tell us a little about yourself, your collection, and then all about watches.
2: Sounds good. Thanks for having me. How I got into watches is kind of interesting. After just seeing them around in our industry in the financial world for years and years, you know, I asked a bunch of people why, why they got them, what brands they liked, things like that, and everybody had a different story and a different answer of how they got into it. What I found the most interesting was if you flip a watch over and you see the little mechanisms, and when we're talking about watches today, we're talking about things called automatic watches that self-propel through little mechanisms inside, so not battery-operated watches. The little mechanisms inside are, are really more like art. And to say that our entire world is controlled by time, and this little timepiece can be on our wrist, controlled by these little watches Uh, that are made up of hundreds of tiny pieces that artists put together um, is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. So that was my story of how I got into it. Um, And then obviously, you know, the deeper you get, you start collecting and meeting other people that have the same type of passion and
0: sort of spun from there. Yeah, it's wild how it branches out with um, everything from what type of watch you like, what brand of watch you like you mentioned the self-propelled, self-winding watches versus the battery-operated ones. Um, every one is a different flavor, but the ones that have been turning into an investment are really certain brands. Can you go into like, what types of watches are you seeing in the marketplace that are really exponentially increasing in value? Yeah, it's happened over a few years. I mean, many, many years, obviously, you know,
2: decades of watch trading where watches have been viewed as a pretty good store of value compared to other jewelry items. But there's really only a couple brands uh, in particular that have held pretty well over the years, the primary one being Rolex. Um, there's obviously a ton of
0: factors that go into why watches will hold value or increase in value. Let me stop you there for one second. So you said watches are a good Store of value. Mm-hmm. So you're an investment guy, and we're not talking about investments per se with this conversation, but as far as an individual like myself, I do have a Rolex. What can I expect in this as an asset?
2: Sure. So any any type of asset that has a big buyer pool and a limited quantity is going to be you know easy to translate into value. So when you say, what is this thing worth? It's one thing to say that it's worth something on paper, but it's another thing to find a market for it to be able to sell it. The nice thing about the brands that we're talking about um, when we talk about watches as a store of value and watches going up in value are that those brands have a very, very limited quantity per year and an exponentially increasing buyer base. So to be able to turn them into a liquid asset like cash is very simple. So I always give the example of Rolex because Rolex has been around forever. And it's very easy to track, you know, a Submariner, which is the most commonly recognized watch probably on anybody's wrist. That you can say, this person has a watch, is a Rolex, you know, this is a Submariner. It's very easy to track the value over time. And that has doubled or tripled, you know,
1: since the 70s and 80s. Wow. So, so it's safe to say that my Apple watch won't trade as well as as a Rolex, considering there's not limited quantity and The demand is still there, but the limited quantity of Apple Watches doesn't compare. Any
2: type of watch that you can go online and hit buy now and they ship it to you is not a low
0: production item. So yes. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, but the ones that, the low production items that we talked about, we, in preparation for this, um, you kind of educated us on some of the brands that have been killing it in the resale game. And it's Automers, Patek Philippe, Rolex, what was it? FP Journé. How do you pronounce that one? FP Journe. FP Journe and Richard Mille. And I personally know uh, Richard Mille because number one, I'm a fan of golf, and I've noticed that Bubba Watson's been wearing these things for a number of years, and it's a certainly unique looking and watch. And then recently, I saw that Nelly Corda recently signed up with them too, and she's wearing it. But my favorite part of life that was brought forth in regards to Richard Mille was with my, one of my favorite rap songs, Meek Mill going bad, where Meek Mill butchers the pronunciation of Richard Mille and calls it Richard Millie cost a Lambo. So it's like, it's just insane to think that a watch, a wristwatch can go for uh, as much as half a million dollars, which is I think one of the ones that he owns.
2: Yeah, I mean a half million dollar Richard meal is uh, probably not even a mid-range Richard meal. The base price for Richard meal right now for for a basic chronograph is over three hundred thousand
1: dollars. I believe the one Bubba Watson has, for or at least was you know that he was wearing the last couple of years, was around five hundred thousand. Yeah, which is which is amazing. Which is crazy,
0: and it really it needs to be insured appropriately. So we'll get into that a little later. But uh, Justin, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole in regards to my favorite rapper Meek Mill. And he has a solid watch collection. So he has like seven or eight watches. He has some standard ones, like a Rolex Day-Date, The President, customized. I think that customized was like he put a diamonds on it. Yeah. Um, they call that a bust down. A bust down?
2: And if, as soon as you bust the watch down, it's worth one-tenth of what it is worth retail. Oh, interesting. It yeah. just kills the resale value? Kills it. Absolutely kills it. You want an all-original watch. You do not want to touch it. You do not want to alter it. As soon as you alter it, the resale value is completely non-existent
0: compared to the other values of a of an untouched watch that's very interesting mm-hmm. so the next one he has is a rolex Cosmograph daytona mm-hmm. which i think is dream watch for me potentially and then a rolex oyster perpetual sky dweller the sky dweller is that the one that pilots use and whatnot what's the what's the no, sky dweller is actually the most
2: complicated of the rolex watches um, it has an annual calendar which means it tracks the the month the day and the time so that, that's pretty cool. It is more of a time traveler watch. So if you're if you're going from, you know, Boston to uh, Dubai and you have a time change, you can have the home time set on there as well as the local time. So like your home back in Boston, so you can call your family and know what time it is at the same time without having to do the calculation.
0: That's pretty cool. Then he has three Richard Meals. He has the RM55 Bubba Watson. So I didn't realize Bubba Watson had his own brand. He does. And then he has... I think there's a black and a white one and they're all most of them are above 400,000 I believe crazy and then he has a RM1103 mm-hmm. and then a 1601 Citron and then he got a ottomers Royal Oak chronograph yeah the Royal Oaks are really popular now too Royal Oak
2: chronographs are are north of $30-40,000 just for the stainless steel models that used to be you know I remember being in Aruba less than 5 years ago and a stainless steel chronograph
0: was $21,000 so, yeah,
2: so double the gonna, same lot. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So with those seven watches, what do you think he he got? I mean, you know insurance pretty well as far as insuring your collection. What do you think the rough total value of, of this Ooh, collection would be? That's a tough one. The Rolexes
2: I could value in a second for you. Um, the bust down's worth about zero. Uh, <laughs> the Skydweller, if it's all gold, is probably about 60 grand. If it's a stainless steel, it's 20 to 30. The Daytona, do we know if it's gold or stainless? or? It, was, it was a two-tone. It's a two-tone, maybe 20 grand. The RMs are huge curveball. I don't know the model numbers as well. The Bubba is probably four hundred or so. The other two RMs fluctuate so much, but you know, educated guess, you can say on the low end, an RM's three hundred thousand dollars, on a high end, you're talking a couple million dollars. Uh, yeah, so I don't he, know he's got that blanket. much money on there, but there's got to be a few, you so know, a he's couple got, million he's dollars. He's got a seven
0: figure blanket. Policy oh yeah, then. without a doubt, yeah. there's a couple. Yeah, just the resharmed meals are worth over a million without a doubt. Yeah, and so getting into the values, that's where we were talking about insurance and how these watches are increasingly becoming targets of crime. In the New York Times, in the last quarter, they had an article that was the case of the stolen watch detective because watches are getting stolen at an increasing and rampant pace. So there's actually someone that you can go to that's a private detective to find your watch. He used to do all sorts of collections, but now he's getting up to two calls a week just on stolen watches. Um, I was doing some other online research. There is a database, international database for stolen watches called mystolenwatch.com. And so, Justin, like, what are you seeing as far as do you know people that have had watches stolen? I see online. Like, I was Googling some stuff, and it said buy now on Amazon. Not to say that Amazon isn't super legit. Like, they're one of the bigger companies in in the world. But I feel like there could be a lot of online scams regarding buying watches. So how do you buy and sell a watch safely? How do you know it's legit? That's interesting. So the stolen watches
2: um, is really like all over Instagram, YouTube, things like that with the rise of social media, which is sort of what increased, increased the value so fast of these watches in the marketplace because it's in front of you. You see all these people that have watches that nobody can buy. You walk into a watch store and there's nothing on the shelves at all. And in order to even buy a watch, you need to buy 10 of them just to qualify to get a regular stainless steel model. It's so hard to get. So if you can take it off of somebody's wrist and resell it, you know that you have a buyer pool, that's out there that's substantial that can't even buy the watches if they walk in the store, which is why these watches are getting stolen. How to buy and sell a watch, there's many ways to buy and sell. To buy a watch, ultimately, if you can buy a watch from an authorized dealer, that's the best way to go. So an authorized dealer is, is a local group that it could be you know, a boutique as part. So for example, Audemars Piguet has boutiques now, or you could have Rolex, uh, which has boutiques that are sort of direct from the manufacturer themselves. So Rolex is essentially selling you this watch. You're the first owner of the watch, there's an ownership card and a serial number and things like that that has your name on it. That is the best way to buy a watch, but if you walk in a Rolex boutique, Uh, for those of you that have not rocked in a Rolex boutique you will see no watches in the store maybe you'll see just you know two or three in a massive store and it's because you really can't buy one from an authorized dealer unless you already have a relationship and have bought many watches through them already the other way to buy a watch if you can't go through an authorized dealer would be on the gray market the gray market is where you get a little shady because if you don't know who you're buying from it's not direct from the company so you it's very hard to see if it's authentic and Rolex in particular, because there's such a demand for them, the fake Rolexes look so real that it's, it's really hard to tell the difference. On the gray market side, there's a few dealers that you can go to um, online if you search YouTube. The ones that are producing content about watches are probably the best ones to go to in my experience because they are sort of the voice of the industry. There's a handful of watch dealers that, you know, do 50, 100, 200 million in sales a year. So they're really, really large dealers. And I would say if you're going to be buying, either buy from a reputable individual collector that you know collects watches or you buy from a larger gray market dealer, um, regardless of price, just because you know it's authentic. But ultimately, you want to go to an authorized dealer if you can.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And so like, how do you get your name on the list even if you haven't, if there's nothing to buy and and you're saying authorized dealers won't sell to you unless you have a history of purchasing with them? How do you start? It's really, really hard. There used
2: to be a list. Well, first of all, you used to be able to walk into a store and buy a watch as your first watch that maybe was not as sought after as a way to start a relationship. And then you can get, you know, a piece that's a slightly harder to get but now when you walk in the store there really is nothing in the store so how do you even do that there's such a demand now compared to the production that's happening in these manufacturers in switzerland that really it's just word of mouth Um, you need to walk in and have you know an introduction to the manager or something like that start somewhere just to start the relationship and buy something and then you incrementally start you know being able to buy these watches that is the only way it's relationship based and that's it so you got to
0: build the relationship really interesting really interesting circling back on being a target for crime we wanted to get into some claim scenarios because this is happening it's not just a new york times article we've had multiple claims in the last quarter on rolexes some being stolen from hotel rooms others being you know people have been mugged so on the risk management side what do you see collectors doing like personally ted and i know what insurance companies recommend and what ultimately will give you discounts for good risk management but how are you protecting your watches Obviously, a safe is a great bet. I think the the leader in
2: watch safes is a company called Wolf. Wolf makes a safe that's customized, um, has watch winders built into it, so you can have your watches um, sort of stored in there, not just like a regular jewelry box. You can get them from Wolf dealers. I think the Wolf dealer in New England is Long's Jewelers, um, who I do a lot of business with. They're great. And they come, they install the safe in your house, they bolt it to the ground. You know, they're pretty pricey, but for protection, I'm I'm not sure that it gets much better besides a safety deposit box.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the safety deposit box is, you know, with high valued items is what the insurance companies want their customers to do. But a question I have kind of on a risk management topic, too, with the values of these watches increasing, it seems like every day, you have your appraised value on a watch, you know, name the price. What would you recommend to insurance consumers? A lot of watches once to get them insured. Should they work with their agent to get that? reviewed every year. I know that would come with getting a new appraisal, which would cost money, but how would you best recommend to handle that aspect of making sure the policy is accurate to what the, you know, real value of the watch is? Yeah. I mean, for any watch collector, I think that they need to talk to their
2: agent for sure to see what the policy is actually covering. And the reason for that isn't necessarily the insurance agent valuing the watches, I don't think, but having a good idea what the market value is because the market value is probably not what you paid for the watch. As an example, if you watch walk into an autumn RPG boutique and you are a longtime customer of Autumn RPG and you just care about the watches cause you love them, you don't track the value very much. You may pick up a Royal Oak for you know $30,000 and the resale is $50,000 as soon as you walk out the door. So we're not talking about you know the price appreciating over five years by 20 grand. We're talking about it as soon as you swipe your credit card. It's worth $20,000 more than you pay for it. There are a handful of watches that are worth double or triple what you pay for The it. opposite
1: of what you do when you buy a car and you drive it off the lot.
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, same with the Rolex. Even a simple Submariner. A Submariner right now, I think, is around $9,000 US. Um, And they're reselling for $14,000, $15,000 immediately after purchase. So it's important to not just have your receipt and to know what you paid for it, because you can't just go back and buy that watch again. You know, what we just talked about, the stores being empty. You can't replace that watch for what you paid for it. Rolex probably won't sell you another one. So it's a great
0: point regarding insurance coverage, because you really need specialized coverage for these appreciating items. And you need to make sure that you have the right policy form. The public seems to commoditize insurance, but this is an area where you really need specialized insurance. And only certain companies offer the proper protection for this type of collection. For example, like Justin just mentioned, how you walk out the store and it's worth double, triple. Yes, you can get insurance for what you paid for it, but there are certain companies that understand it and understand that market value is different than what you paid for it. So uh, really good policies, I'll read right off of it. It's like paying market value. If the market value of an item um, before a loss exceeds the amount of coverage, they'll pay up to 150% of the amount of item on your policy. And so that's taking into account increases in market value. But even 150% isn't enough in some cases. So that's where it gets back to Ted's point of needing to annually or, or you know, maybe every two years, review it with your insurance agent to make sure that you have the proper coverage on your collection. Because we don't want to get in the weeds today about how to set it up, but you can schedule individually. You can use a, another thing called blanket coverage. Um, there's a lot of different things that you can do, but it gets back to of really understanding that you have the right company, that they know what they're doing, and that your agent is advising you how to do it the way that best fits your
1: needs. Um, I would also say that you understand if a claim were to happen, the claim process, and how, how you'd be made whole, if you look at different companies and how they operate, that could be a huge decision by you, the watch collector, on how you want to ensure your, your watch collection, whether it's you know, a cash out option or the 150% of market value. Those are just incredibly important decisions that you need to make, and your agent needs to advise you on this for it to be the best fit for you. Yeah, 100% first world problem would be having a watch that was
0: on a, a policy form that's like kind and quality, where the insurance company was, is then going to go out and find a similar watch to what you had. And if you set it up differently, if you understand the differences between these companies, if you have an agent that can walk you through this, you'd probably much rather have a cash out option for the, for the market value that it's currently worth. I mean, those are the little things that can mean a huge difference in the event of a claim. So that's why it's really important to contact someone like Delane Gibson. You know, contact Ted or I. We can walk you through this. We can help you understand what your current coverage is and how you should set it up in the future, depending on your situation. It's really about the individualized coverage, and uh, we have the best markets in the world to be able to, uh, to achieve the terms that you're looking for. Well, that is all we got for today, Justin. Really appreciate your time, your your brain on this. It's uh, super interesting to learn about the different brands, the market, all of the above, and even how you protect your watch. We both learned a lot, and I learned uh, even what what Ted, what'd you call him? Horologist. <laughs> horologist. <laughs> and in-house horologist. That might have been my my favorite topic. We you should add that to your mm-hmm. your Instagram handle. Uh, Or or your LinkedIn
1: description. LinkedIn description. Yeah, full-time
0: virologist. There we go. I'm getting called in to talk about this instead of life insurance. Um,
1: If
2: anybody has uh, questions about values of their watches too, obviously you know what you paid for the watch, but Chrono24 is the world's leading watch marketplace online. Um, You can look up market values with a click of a button uh, online to have a a better idea of what the current market value is. Great. Great. Well, Well,
1: Justin, your passion for this is really incredible, similar to my passion for golf. And in Chip's passion as well. So thanks for your time. And I uh, hope we can do this again soon. Cool.